Hey folks, you're listening to To Know The Land, broadcasting from the traditional territories of Mississauga La Credit on 93.3 FM on the University of Guelph. Or maybe you're listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a show about people's connections to the land base, how we interact with the land, how we learn about the land, how we defend the land. Today's show, I, I am so lucky. I get to talk to three awesome folks from the university, Dr. Kim Anderson, Dr. Sherry Longboat, and Dr. Brittany Luby. Can I ask that y'all take your take the time to introduce yourselves? Okay, I guess we'll go in the order. So I'll introduce myself first. I'm Kim Anderson. I'm an associate professor in um, family relations and applied nutrition here at University of Guelph. <clears throat> and I have a Canada research chair in indigenous relationships. And I'm Métis, my family is originally from Manitoba, Métis from Manitoba. Oh, hi there, I'll go next. I'm Sherry Longboat. I am faculty and associate professor in rural planning and development in the School of Environmental Design and Rural Development. Um, I'm also Haudenosaunee Mohawk, member of the Six Nations of the Grand River, uh, mixed race. My mother's Ukrainian and I work quite closely with uh, many communities and uh, just happy to be here today. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, here, here. Thanks so much, Byron. Uh, my name's Britt Luby. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of History. I was born and raised in Treaty Number no. Three territory, which is in what is currently known as Northwestern Ontario and Southeastern Manitoba. And my paternal ancestors are from Nisetchewan and Anishinaabe Nation. Y'all are all working on a project together uh, called Nokum's House. And we're going to get into a lot of the details today to talk about Nokum's House, but I was wondering if one of the first things that people ask me when I tell them about Nokum's House is, does, does that name have a meaning? Can, can you describe the, maybe an interpretation of the name of Nokum's House? Sure, I can take a, I can take a shot at it. So <clears throat> Nokum or Nokumus means my grandmother in Anishinaabe uh, one or Ojibwe. And so, um, it's just what we came up with to, to, to think about how what we're doing is building a grandmother's home and, um, and what does that represent? We're in the process of you know, researching with a whole bunch of folks about what that means to them. But uh, a grandmother's home is a space of belonging, healing, creativity, intellectual uh, activity, all that kind of stuff happens in the granny's homes that many of us have been trained in. And so uh, that's what Nokum's house means. It's just my granny's, my granny's home. Nokum being a short form for Nokumus. I love how you say that's what happens in these homes that you were trained in. And it's like, these, these are legitimate institutions of learning uh, to be in your grandmother's house. That makes me very happy. Can you, can, can you tell us about like some of the beginnings of the project? Maybe I'll start and then, and then um, Sherry and Brittany can talk about their experience of coming in on it. Um, so it's, this is me, Kim, talking in case uh, your listeners don't know who they're talking to yet. And um, so how it actually came about was uh, I was thinking about how I was going to build my quote unquote lab for the research that I do in Indigenous relationality. And um, and you know when you think about building a lab as a social scientist, often it's what could it be a room full of computers and grad students um you know there's all different ways to build a lab but it occurred to me that the type of work that i do in terms of building relationships 
out of the training that I received in grandmother's homes um, would be much more suited to a place that actually is a grandmother's home. And there we can, um, you know, we can explore the types of relationships that we're trying to build going forward into the future. So that's really how it came out. It actually came out, um, I was doing fasting uh, out in Saskatchewan at the grant, one of the granny's homes where I've been trained out of Maria Campbell. And um, there's a whole long story to go with that. But anyway, that's where, that's where it came out of. So I came back uh, and I was thinking about uh, that. And I thought, you know, we need, if we're gonna have a granny's home, you know, we don't wanna put it just in a, inside a building and, um, you know, we need a kitchen and we need access to land and all that kind of stuff. So that's how it, uh, the idea came up to, to build it in the Arboretum. And then, you know, as time went on, it's, that, that, that's when uh, Sherry and Brittany came in. I invited them to be part of the, that. And I, and I think that it's so much stronger with us as a group because what we do, you know, it's, it's not about an individual, you know, building their research empire or whatever it is that we are often encouraged to do in academia, but it's about the collective uh, of us. And we're so much um, richer, really, uh, when we do things collaboratively and together. And that really is an indigenous way of, of knowledge production. And so um, now there's us three, there are other, um, I'm thinking about uh, like Jesse Pop, who's a, a scientist who's joined uh, School of Environmental Studies and Anishinaabe Kwe as well. So there are other uh, indigenous women researchers on campus who are, are also around. Uh, but anyway, the three of us are, are going forward with this and I'll let Sherry and Brittany talk about their experience of coming into it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Kim. Sherry here. Um, yeah, just adding to that, it was when Kim approached and we had, we had worked together before um, and I also, we also knew Brittany before, we all knew each other before. Um, when Kim first approached, she was thoroughly excited to have this opportunity to work with uh, my sisters, other Indigenous women other Indigenous scholars and those who had a shared sense of um, our responsibilities and our relationships and almost our duties as Indigenous scholars, as an Indigenous women who have come into the institution. Um, maybe some background, we have, each of us came to the University of Guelph as part of the, I'll say, Indigenization strategy that Dr. Charlotte Yates, now uh, President Yates, uh, initiated a number of six years ago now. So we all came together and came to the university. Um, so what we're doing now we see as an embodiment of that which we were brought to do to begin to bring in um, Indigenous ways of knowing and doing and being within the institution, within the landscape, within the space. So thoroughly excited, particularly being from um, rural planning and development in that often as those things that we brought to the university or we were hoped to bring to the university is that our relationality with our communities, with those that we work with to bring new ways of knowing, doing and being to the institution. Yet once we're here, we somewhat get a little removed from those communities or we're not easily accessible to those that we're here, really here to service and really here to be a voice for as well as an academic and a researcher. So this is for me, it was an opportunity to bring that into rural planning and development, bring that into my, my research, that relationship with others, that connection with my community, the community we're creating or have created at Guelph and that, that space that we're opening up to others and being a vehicle to um, other Indigenous peoples to come to the campus and work with us. So it's exciting. It's exciting from the start. And I think we're just on the cusp of great things going forward 
to begin to really make that space and place for others as well. It's not just us. We're hopefully just the beginning of much more to come. I'm sure Brittany has a lot to add too. I'm just loving hearing your hearing your answers. And I want to pick up, Sherry, on this idea of duties and responsibilities that, that came out in yours and reflect on some of my own teaching practice. So you know, one of our duties and responsibilities is teaching about all of our relations and Indigenous ecological knowledges and ways of being in the world. And then we're, we're placed in these traditional classrooms and asked to do so. And you can have conversations with your students and, and prompt them to look at, you know, the beautiful stone architecture we have at the University of Guelph and go, you know, that's a gift from the rock spirit. Like, let's reflect on that or to look at the, you know, the, the plastic composite baby of their, their desktop and go like, all right, let's think about those ancient microorganisms that gifted their bodies to you. So you can do your work today, but when you, when you try and teach those things on the land and we're so fortunate in the sense that the arboretum's only a walk away, sort of becomes something that happens outside of the classroom. And, and I was just so excited by this idea of, having a, a teaching space where it wasn't you leave a place of learning to go connect with your relations, but you're connecting with your relations in that place of learning and just this opportunity for reframing that uh, our, our collaboration and Nocum's House would allow. And just re reflecting again on architectural styles and possibilities and, and the design process, I, you know, just because a building's structurally safe doesn't mean that it's culturally safe. And Kim, just bringing Sherry and I this vision and inviting us to carry it with you to imagine what does a culturally safe building look like for me was so exciting. Just so exciting to think about what we could do together for the next generation. Yeah, I wanna pick up on that because, um, you know, it really struck me one time I was out in the Arboretum with one of my students having our, we were having our, uh, our meeting, you know, our, our student prof meeting. And we were in the middle of the Arboretum and the student said to me, this is the first time I felt safe on campus. And mm -hmm. this student was, you know, partway through their degree at this time. And it really, it really made me think about how um, we, need to keep, we need to keep at it to create safe spaces for our, our, our students, you know, students who are um, marginalized, you know, in many, in many ways who don't feel comfortable in, in, these, in these university campus spaces. And so I, it was like my, my granny's heart or my auntie's heart really went out at that point. And I thought, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the land that made uh, this student feel safe. It was the, uh, I, I hope the company of having um, a professor or a mentor who was, who, was, who was there to make space for them to uh, be who they were. And, you know, after, after I heard that, I thought, Maybe this is something that um, is part of the spirit of Nookum's house because the grandmother's house is a, is a place where you feel safe. It's a place where you go to um, to be able to be nurtured to be who you are, and um, and nurtured not just by Granny but also by the animals and the plants and the land around. And so that's part of what that's part of what we're doing. I think. And I think back too to um, a couple of years ago, uh, Brittany had. Uh, and her class had initiated and fulfilled this amazing project where they got all these people out on the football field and they um, created a human medicine wheel and took photog photographs and so on. It was this amazing project. 
and did an art um, an art show on it afterwards. But that was also, and it was it was to it was to talk about it was to raise awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous women. But it was also a demonstration from some of the people that talked afterwards about um, how some of these environments on campus do not feel safe for for women or for racialized people. Um, or for people who are, you know, gender fluid or, or, or whatever. And so, you know, one of the things we're doing, you know, the, the group of us, as we get together is cracking open different spaces and even sometimes little temporary uh, spaces of safety, uh, expressions of that, cl claiming spaces. Um, and, this, and, and this is another expression of it. I mean, we did another one where it was Canada 150 celebration, which of course didn't feel like much of a celebration for a lot of indigenous folks. And so we got all indigenous women that we knew at Guelph Laurier and Waterloo, and we dressed up as uh, grannies, as we might've dressed up our grandmothers at the time of Confederation. And we did like a performance art where we, we staged setting this space that was very um, tricky, I would say, for, for some of the participants at this conference to navigate. So we've been sort of working it through these things um, in various ways, but it really does come back down to, for me, that um, that 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 thing that that students share with me, and um, and then it goes beyond that, right? In terms of community, not having spaces. Like I always say, you know, lots of folks, you know, they have their, you know, they might have their country homes or their cottages or their property. Indigenous urban people are largely, you know, they don't have all those things necessarily to 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 enjoy. They don't have those home spaces. And so what happens if we can try to start to do these things in the institutions? So that's where I come from because I work, you know, I've worked with friendship centers for years. So I, I understand how uh, indigenous folks in the city can create those spaces of home and belonging and um, places where people can come and, and really fulfill who they are through the, through, through the environment that's created. So that's, I mean, that's where I'm coming from as a, like I say, as, largely a social scientist who thinks about human relations, but it's connected to all relations. And those spaces need to be, you know, if they're set within um, land, then those things become uh, what train us and heal us as well, right? It's all part of that collective. So yes, That's awesome. yeah. yeah, safety, That's great. purpose and belonging, safety, purpose and belonging. I feel like you know, the occupation of a football field um, really can say a lot about creating a safe space. Oh, and yeah. Just like uh, just getting a whole bunch of folks out and then drawing attention to violence against women in, in the center of a football field is just like, yeah, yeah, that's powerful. It, um, was pro it was profound and it was profound for a lot of the folks that, you know, attended that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and continues to resonate, now, you know, like I really, um, you know, my, I, I really respect Brittany for putting in the time, the effort and the energy and the ingenuity to come up with something like that. Uh, because when she told me, oh, this is what I think we're gonna, I think we'll do this. You know, we're gonna get, we're gonna wanna raise awareness about missing and murdered indigenous women. So we'll get all these people out on, and I thought, oh my God, that's a crazy idea. Like, how are we gonna, how, how's that actually gonna work? But of, co of course I'm in, right? <laughs> and it, 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 it went, but more, more so than that, what did it do to be able to like begin to sort of like claim some of that space and raise issues of safety and marginalization and social justice issues, like all those things, right? And so um, when you have um, often leadership of indigenous women, 
such as Brittany, you know, a young scholar just coming in, just coming into the university. I'm like, okay, we're here. <laughs> we're, we've arrived, so here we go. We're gonna move over to the football field and then we're gonna, you know, build a cabin in the woods and we're gonna dress up as grannies and do, you know, do performance art and occupy a, you know, a, a dining hall in the middle of a conference, that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in doing those kind of things, especially, uh, I say women, but older women, uh, we can do that kind of stuff. And in, what, in, and in so doing, it makes our young people feel safe because they know that there's these, you know, there, there's these, uh, you know, and, and not just us, it's about the spirit of the grandmother, right? The kick-ass granny out there who's gonna take and hold space for you and make sure that you're safe, you're protected, that you have a place to flourish, you know? That, I think to me, that's what it is. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just like also about me getting older, trying to figure out how do I continue to, like, how do I continue to create those spaces for younger people coming along, which is part of my job as a professor, but it's also my job as an Indigenous, an Indigenous woman who, who's, you know, getting older, right? That's my job. I want to jump in here and pick up on this idea of safety architecture yeah. and linking back to, you know, Kim's reflections on safe uh, places and just say, Kim, I'm so grateful that when we were working on that project with Marie and Kara that you took so much time to thinking about our spiritual safety as well, sort of on that, you know, medicine wheel, four dimensions, um, thinking to, to make sure that there was ceremony to open it up in a good way to teach my students how to work with cedar so that everyone who walked in there could have a medicine to carry with them and just taking the time and committing to creating a spiritually and culturally safe place. And in doing that, making it safe for community members to come out and making sure that we had families who this would be a meaningful experience for them coming out to support us and also the elders coming out to, to really just do it in a good way. Thank you. It sounds like land back on the emotional plane, you know, like where we're going to reclaim this space. This is our space and we're going to do it. Like you said, uh, building like the architecture of safety, not just, not just the, the spaces, but also like how we interact with those spaces, how we feel within those spaces or how indigenous people feel within those spaces, not necessarily me, but how other folks might feel by just occupying and taking those spaces back under the leadership of, of indigenous women and older indigenous women and that kick-ass granny spirit you're talking about. Kim Anderson, you're in family relations and applied nutrition, Sherry Longboat, rural planning and development, Dr. Brittany Luby is history. These are the different fields that y'all are working in and researching at the university. And I was wondering how these fields are going to intersect at Nocum's house. Hmm. Well, I think that when you do work, um, you know, I, 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 I teach in family relations and apply nutrition, but I think of myself more as an indigenous studies scholar, which is much more holistic. And so um, when we work in a, in a holistic way, it doesn't seem odd or unfitting that we're in three different colleges and three different disciplines that we can come together around this kind of um, united purpose of creating um, this, this space, right, is basically what is basically what we're doing. What we're going to do in, in it and um, what we're going to research as part of building that space has different angles and different kinds of knowledges we're going to produce. But um, I think that, you know, when, when we talk about what's, 
the, the purpose of Indigenous studies or what are we doing when we do Indigenous studies? It's really building and rebuilding those worlds where our peoples can thrive. And I, I, you know, that's, I, I would say anyways, at least that's the, that's the space of commonality that we come to with it. And so for me, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I have my, my PhDs in history, but I work, I do a lot of social science work and I'm interested in relationships, human relationships, and in particular gender and how that, you know, how that um, works coming from indigenous knowledges and traditions and where we're going in the indigenous futurities. So what my thinking around it has been like, what kind of, how do we build a space where relationships uh, can happen, can thrive? And what does gender have to do with that? I guess is part of, you know, is part of what I'm doing. So yeah, I've been more focused on the human in my career, but um, you know, in, in taking an indigenous approach, you don't just look at, you don't just think about the humans because it, it's automatically connected to land and plants and animals and spirit, right? Like all those, it's all our relations are in there. So you don't just think about family as the human family or whatever kind of family construct you're looking at. Um, you think about it in the context of, you know, the relations that, that go out beyond there, right? And so in that way, it, it is much more holistic, I guess, and relates to that. So, and I've been really excited because um, coming together with um, Sherry and thinking around planning and how do we plan these things is really is really cool because I think it's really important to think about how we plan spaces where those kind of human relations can thrive, right? And um, like in Brittany with her pedagogy, her pedagogy that she works with in, in land-based pedagogy, that's also part of the grandmother's space, right? It's like, how do we create these spaces where that type of um, knowledge can be encouraged? Because that's part of the relationality. So anyway, I'll let, I'll let my colleagues speak. Yeah, yeah, I, I share it here. So just adding to that, um, when we think of indigenous knowledge systems, indigenous institutions, indigenous governance, the way our social, political, economic, cultural systems would have interacted. They are very holistic, very interdependent with our relations, all of relations, our human relations, our non-human relations, our spiritual relations. Um, what we're doing here is really, I see as again, embodying those more traditional indigenous approaches to how we would work together in community that were not siloed. And I think of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and when we bring in our different nations of the six nations together, or I think of our clan systems, that it's the strength of each individual clan or family or nation that steps forward and has a, has a unique gift or a strength that they bring to the community or the nation or the family. And I see that as us doing that here, that we all have these strengths. And while we're in disciplines, um, it's through our interdisciplinary or holistic lenses to the research that we'll be working on um, is really exciting and it really gives it a more holistic and, and more um, true um, way of working with our, our relations, our community, our knowledge, our academic knowledge, and it really enhances that as well. Um, coming from planning and development, for example, like my background, planning and development itself is very interdisciplinary. Um, and my own background is in geography, physical geography, hydrology and water, um, and then resource management. So bringing those elements to this is, um, I feel like I'll have that to bring to this, but as well learning and enhancing that knowledge and bringing in um, that which we see is more commonly sought 
For example, earlier we were talking about the benefits and the safe places for Indigenous peoples. I almost feel that there's a time too, and I see this in my discipline in terms of planning practice, is that there's um, a thirst uh, by uh, non-Indigenous peoples too to begin to respond to their responsibility and their treaty treaty responsibilities to work with Indigenous peoples to understand. So in doing some of the work we do, the outcomes of some of our research will help to inform that as well, other disciplines for how they can engage in, in, a, in a good and meaningful way of relating to land, relating to community, relating in spirit to be able to bring that to the, those disciplines. So it's sort of exciting. And I see things like the, the declaration of the, the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples um, being codified into law. We see practices such as duty to consult. We see these practices that impact in many, and I work with municipalities, um, we see municipalities saying, how do we do this? How do we engage in a, in a good, meaningful way that, that is um, respectful of Indigenous knowledge systems and Indigenous peoples? And that's some of the work we're going to be doing at a smaller scale, but we'll have, <clears throat> pardon me, great implications beyond. And we can't look at that in siloed. If we want to look at some of these challenges of the future of water, of food security, of food sovereignty, of um, self-determination, of nationhood, we really need to be doing it uh, interdisciplinary. So I think there's almost no other way to do this sort of research in a good way and expanding our circle and making space for others as well. Because when we start to, if we truly want to decolonize or indigenize, we need to bring our ways of knowing, doing, and being to the institution. And it's in the way we're doing it now, stepping out of our silos, stepping out of our disciplines, and in doing so, enhancing what we know and do amongst ourselves, and then bringing that to our students, to the communities we serve, to the Guelph community, and to the broader academy. So for me, it's exciting. It's Again, I just, I just think of... There's no other way to do it. This is how we should be doing it. In fact, it makes more sense, particularly when we start thinking of um, um, current words, uh, current paradigms such as ecosystem-based approaches or integration or collaboration. That's what we've been doing as Indigenous peoples. And now we're going to be demonstrating that outside of the academy, uh, academy and taking that back, taking back that those ways and, and um, I'm doing them with community as well. So uh, to me, it's natural, it's interdisciplinary, it's holistic, and it's the way we should be doing research in a good way. Well, right here, and I, I, I wanna pick up on this idea of, of ways and knowing and, and knowledges. So when I think about some, Canadian, and I'm generalizing here, broad brush strokes, but Canadian and American understandings of knowledge, there's this idea that there's a fact out there that can be observed. It's, you know, pure essence can be understood. And I'm gonna give a little bit of family history here. So my great grandfather attended residential school and as part of the family survival strategy, didn't teach my grandmother um, any Anishinaabe Molin. So I grew up in an English uh, speaking only household, but, uh, D despite my only having English, my grandparents, my grandma, I should say, and my uncles and my dad and my elders made an effort to teach me about some concepts um, that don't translate directly. And one thing that I came to understand is that there isn't really a direct translation for, for truth as something that you can hold, as something that you can have. Um, instead, you're able to speak as far as your experience allows. And that's more of an Anishinaabe understanding of truth. I'm speaking to you as far as my experience allows. And I think for us, the collaborative nature of the research that, that interdisciplinary nature is, is so essential 
because we're each speaking to the truth our experiences have gifted us with. And by sharing that together, we can maybe get at something that's going to be nourishing for, for more than just me, more than just Sherry, more than just Kim, because we're working more collectively. And you get a bunch of Indigenous women together and all sorts of stuff can happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it is. You know, it's just the way it is. So, um, yeah, creating those, creating those truths, right? The multiple truths that, we, that we're able to, to work together on. I feel like that's what I try and get at with the kids I work with. I mean, it's a very different context, but like when, you, when you're outside and you're in, in on or out on the land, it is all connected. There is no silo, right? There is no like the river is here, the tree is here. You know, no, no, no. The tree's roots go into the river. You know, the bird is on the tree. It's like it's all connected. And so to, to challenge that, that siloed academic context that usually the university or government or bureaucracies or whatever work in and recognizing a more holistic approach where people can be collaborative and working together and integrating knowledges just sounds a lot a lot better a lot more constructive and uh, I feel like there's more opportunities for for knowledge generation by by these these different things coming together and collaborating the possibilities y'all are creating with Nogam's house sounds really awesome. One thing that I find really um, fascinating as well, just about, you know, thinking about those connections. So the roots into the water, because I remember when we were out in the Arboretum and Sherry was talking about a particular tree and how it connects to some of the teachings of her nation. Uh, but that's not my story to share, but um, if it feels appropriate, maybe when. Well, it's just under the, the, the Haudenosaunee great law of peace, our constitution as Haudenosaunee peoples the teaching or the history goes that at the time the peacemaker came to bring our nations together, there was ceremony where um, the peacemaker brought together six arrows or five arrows at the time, but brought together arrows to represent um, the strength of the nations as one and breaking one arrow. And this is, I often think of us as this as being many arrows, taking one hour arrow, you could break that arrow and it's very weak. But when you put five arrows together, which represented five nations and tried to break those, you couldn't. So that was the start of a ceremony of the Confederacy to represent this, those arrows of the strength of those nations, bringing six independent nations together to form one Confederacy under the great law of peace. But part of that was there was a ceremony to bury um, weapons of war, because at that time, our nations, quite frankly, like maybe a Mohawk are fighting with the other nations at the time over land and over other international type um, activities. That would be common of all nations that had histories of shared land and contestation of land and other issues. But the peacemaker recognized there was a time that this needed to come to an end and there was prophecy at that time. And part of that was a ceremony of burying those weapons of war. And that was under the great tree of peace, which was a great white pine. And when we were walking through the Arboretum, when we were looking at that, you can identify it by five needles, each uh, a needle coming out of the pine by counting those. Um, so it reminds me of just the place and the space of the great white pines and what that embodies for the Haudenosaunee Confederacy is reminding us of the tree of peace. It reminds us of our Haudenosaunee Confederacy of our governance, which is still very strong. And it reminds of um, those fundamental Indigenous laws or knowledge systems encoded within those governance systems that still guide today. And then it's how do we 
as a researcher, bring those forward into our research, into our institutions or ways we operate in terms of planning, design, development going forward. Um, I see as, a, as a, again, a great opportunity, but uh, yeah, I was in the sharing and listening and hearing other stories as we walk through that space. Um, that I, I think it's just incredible what we're, we're going to do and what with the journey we've started and for the future and to know that future uh, people will do the same thing and build upon it and add there. Together, I see us as those arrows of that strength those nations coming together because when you think about it and I've, I've mentioned this and we were talking about proposals and how to fund this I said we are doing international research coming from our unique nations of our knowledge systems our ways of doing and being so in itself as a person who studies planning and design and geography and resource management looking at the ways in which we're doing some of the activities we're doing I look at collaboration and collaborative governance and how do we come to these shared goals for environmental sustainability or, or community sustainability um, or community nationhood and self-determination more broadly. But it's through these international ways and that's what we're embodying amongst our nations coming together, strengthening and making space for others using elements like the two-row wampum or the dish with one spoon to remind us of our treaty obligations, those sacred solemn um, agreements that our ancestors signed and were or signed, agreed to um, and that allows us to be here today to be able to do the work we do. So it's all really exciting because while we're in a really Western construct, many of us have these other richer knowledge systems that are guiding us personally. This is a project that's going to be on campus and, and also seems to be including a lot of community connection as well. I was wondering like, what forms will y'all be interacting with a broader community and why in an academic or why in the university setting was, you know, sort of seems to, it's this big place on a hill. Why is it important to have community connections in this space? Uh, I maybe can, can start a little bit um, and then we can, we can all add to that. Um, for me, one thing I recognize, well, it, it, there's, there's about three different areas when I think about community in the communities we work with. The first, and I mentioned it before, it's this, it's this notion of us separated from our communities, separated prior to coming to Guelph, I was working for the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Confederacy Chiefs of Six Nations. Um, so I was working in community. My office was in at Six Nations. I was in Oshwegan every day, um, having the opportunity to work with the chiefs, the clan mothers, community members. So coming to Guelph, while a wonderful opportunity, it separated me from that. Um, so that, that's one community, I think, of the First Nations, of the communities in terms of those land based or those areas that I had worked with. The second community I also think about is our local community. Often we talk about treaty rights or who are the Indigenous peoples. And when we think that way, when we think treaty, treaty lands, we're often, I would say, can sometimes limit ourselves to what it's recognized by the colonial government and by the crown, whose land is it? Um, but what I also think is we have great communities, members within the community from all nations who call Guelph their home and who live in this area. So it's those community members we also work with. Um, and then the third element I see of community is when community come to the campus. I recently had um, brought in a group of our collaborators from the Oneida Nation and they came down for a day this that we want to come to the university and we set up a whole day of presentations of sharing knowledge they presented we presented 
But one of the things that I noticed and what we felt is we were in a classroom. We were in this linear classroom. And at one point I sat at the back of the class and I thought, this is quite ironic. Like we've brought people to community and we've put them into these linear classrooms and we've separated us from that area, the land that we're talking about, the space that we're talking about. So it's all of those. So I see Nookum's house as a place for us to, to work together with people on the land in the space that we are connected with but as well um, recognizing that we can get out of the classroom and we work with a broad group of people. We make that space comfortable for all peoples to come in. So those sort of diverse communities, there's not just necessarily one community. We have a lot of relations. We serve a lot of community members. We, we are privileged with working with numerous peoples and communities. And I often say that I recently had a community say, Oh, we're so happy to be working with you. And I started my e email by saying, no, thank you. It's a privilege to work with Indigenous communities to be able to have that trust and respect where community members will share, will be able to bring their knowledge to us. It's, it's very much of a privilege, but particularly now in this day and age where um, uh, concepts such as Indigenous ownership, control, access, possession of their knowledge and research and data really persist, that we really do have a privileged position and um, working with those different communities. That's from my perspective anyways, the different types of communities I work with and Newcomb's House will just strengthen those relationships. I just wanna say one quick thing and then maybe um, Brittany has more to say, but I just wanna say that um, this is, what we're doing is a start as well because the space that we're creating is gonna be very small. Uh, you know, if we're really lucky, we might cram 20 people in there at a time or 30 people, right? So. We need all sorts of types of spaces to facilitate that um, type of community building. So what we're doing is a start. I don't think it's going to be able to, um, you know, fulfill all the needs of uh, the different types of communities that we need to work with on campus. Right. So anyway, it's it's a, it's a start. It's a particular type of space, a small space. But, you know, there could be like outdoor uh, land based learning spaces connected, teaching lodge or whatever. So yeah. And then Byron, when I think about part of our community, so um, I think about our other than human relations or more than human relations or plant and animal teachers, depending on the language that uh, they use. And I think about the, the support you're offering us by sharing your tracking skills, right? And helping us identify, you know, what are the, the plant and animal relations who are using this space? And how can we enter into a treaty with them or uphold our responsibilities to them? And so, you know, we're working with our human relations, we're working to create space knowing that it's very much a beginning, but also taking this opportunity to think about who else are we in negotiation with? Who else are we in conversation uh, with? And, and that's a big element of that community aspect for me as well. Yes, if I may add, because Kim, Kim brought up a good point, um, and I wanted to highlight that too, about the the scale of Nookum's House too, and our goal of Nookum's House. Um, it's a starting point. It's it's one one part of what of a larger um, number of projects and activities we're all working on, and, we, and we're, we're hoping, or at least I'm hoping, that this isn't just one, that it becomes a catalyst for other activities and expansion, and really a way to demonstrate how we can work with how Indigenous scholars can work within the institution, work with community, creating safe space on a small scale that can really transcend to, a, to um, other departments across the university for others, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, 
This isn't just for, while the research lab is for us to create space to work with community on, on, a, on a small scale, on, on an intimate scale, on a respectful scale in relationship with land and spirit and space and all our relations, um, what we'll learn in the output of our research and the output of the process of even designing Nookum's House as a plan, as someone who's involved in planning and design, our process of design of doing this in a good way um, amongst Indigenous peoples within an institution is a learning process in itself. So while we serve a lot of communities, uh, the work that will come out of it in our research um, will be done on a small scale with the, with, with the communities that we would directly work with now, but certainly the implications um, we hope will inform the academy, we hope will inform practice, and we ultimately we really uh, hope that it and, and anticipate it will also uh, inform and support local community of making that space and uh, being directed by community too and the way in which we do research and the types of research that we do. I think of Newcomb's House again rings true that it's not about all the epic powerful work. There is epic powerful work that grandmothers do, but also her house is small. She might be a little bent with time and, and years, but she's still powerful in that the generations to come that learn from her. And that's, that's where it counts for a lot of what grandmothers are doing, right? It's not just her trying to create this huge capacity, but it's, it's what she can offer to the future and where, where that will expand and where that will grow. So I, I see that like it may be a small building, but big impacts. Yes, yes, yes. I like the way that you said that. That's very, yeah. Yeah, and but, you could say it's a, it's a, it's like one house in a village, right? It, it could mm -hmm. be, a, you know, Granny's house. You still need the council house, right? Where you can have larger meetings. You still need all those kind of things. So, you know, I guess what we're doing is we're modeling one type of one type of relational space and offering that to, to the capacity and the extent that we have, right? And as researchers, we're, we're researching and exploring what, you know, what does that mean? What does that look like? And I think for me, it's Britt, um, it's an offering that, that speaks true, at least to, to my experience. You know, my brother has these four healthy, wonderful, curious babies, you know, so I, you know, I'm, kind of growing into my anti-responsibilities. And so I feel like in terms of our governance structures and community operations that, that this is a space that our life journey uh, allows us to fill in a good way. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Brett. I, I think for, while as scholars, and personally as a scholar and as a, as a professor and an educator within an institution, I feel quite blessed and privileged to hold this space. But this allows us, for me, to feel more meaningful in terms of an uncle, homewayhood, and a Shoni woman to do this. It's more than just scholarship. It's more than a job. It's really fulfilling those responsibilities. And I think that that's what really gives it personal strength as well over beyond just what research might be. Are there ways that folks from the broader community can support uh, Newcomb's House structurally, physically, tangibly support the work that's that y'all want to be doing there, either now or into the future. 
Well, I would say you're doing it by um, allowing us to talk about our vision and, you know, sharing about it. We do have a fundraising campaign going on because it turns out it is expensive to do this in an institution. So money always helps, right? Um, and I, I think that one thing is one thing that's, you know, that we, we are um, kind of mindful of is sometimes when we do these things, it's like, um, there's, there's, there's a hope and an expectation that we're going to be able to educate the broader community about this. And I think that we're, we're at a point where we need to actually, like I always say, we need to put our own people closest to the fire first because they're the ones that have been dispossessed of this knowledge. And so we need to make sure that we protect that space for indigenous people to be able to come into the house and feel uh, comfortable and safe again, where they can learn things and make mistakes and have, um, have opportunities to, to explore, explore you know, themselves and where they're going in the future without feeling like, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a space where uh, others are coming to, 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 take, to take that knowledge, right? So it's not, it's not about being um, exclusive, but there are times when we will, you know, the times when we will work with uh, the broader population and there are times when we need to do our own work ourselves and have the space to be able to do that. I think it's important to say that because so often with the indigenization and all these initiatives, people are, oh, that's so exciting. Like we're gonna learn about indigenous knowledge. And it's like, well, we need to learn about it ourselves first. Uh, we need to take our young people in and make them feel like it's theirs to learn, it's theirs to own, it's theirs to share if they so choose um, in advance of doing that. Now, of course, we work within a settler institution and our job is as professors to teach all those that are part of this institution. So our students, of course, are, are, are a big part of that, all our students. Um, but I think it's important to make those distinctions because uh, otherwise, sometimes we kind of feel like we get overwhelmed uh, when, we, when we're just starting to, especially young people, if they haven't um, had access to indigenous um, culture or knowledge, and they're starting to go into that and they go into spaces where you know, they're maybe in, maybe in a minority again and feel um, kind of unsettled around that. So I guess in terms of what can, what can um, settler folk or mainstream people do always in these, um, in these areas of, you know, initiatives or development is to um, know when it's time to participate and attend in things and know when it's time to leave space and support in other ways like fundraising, like, um, you know, holding up what we're doing, such as you're doing here today. Um, you know, there are other ways to do that. And then there are other times when we want everybody, like, for example, when we had everybody out on the football field, we wanted to get like, whatever, 250 bodies out onto the football field. We, we want everybody there. There was a space for people because it was a learning space. So, you know, knowing when it's time to participate and when it's time to, um, to leave that space for Indigenous people to do their own you know, recovery work and building, building work that needs to be done. I think that's a good life skill for a lot of, a lot of people to know all across the board, especially settlers. When's our place to step up and when's our place to step back? And there, and there, and there are places for both, right? There are places to step up. It's like, Hey, we're doing this event. We want as many people out as possible. We're going to do a water walk. We got to get all these people out doing it. We're going to do a, we're going to get all these people out on the football field. Come on, we need to get people going. And then there's like, well, we need to, you know, we want to do this, um, this ceremony, uh, you know, to connect with the land. We want to do stuff around with our youth around gender. 
maybe that's not the space, you know, that's not the space, right? Um, mm -hmm. so, so learning those things, right? And respecting jurisdictions and, and, and boundaries and also understanding that, um, you know, we have, we, we, we have our work that we need to do among ourselves as Indigenous peoples and we need to feel like we're, we're, we have um, uninterrupted space to be able to do that. And it's mm -hmm. been so hard to carve that out over time. And of course, you know, colonization is this process of just like running roughshod over the boundaries that we, you know, the jurisdictions that we have. Uh, and so now it's like, okay, learning how to respect those jurisdictions and boundaries and understanding it within the context of colonization and what that meant in terms of our dispossession from land, from knowledge, all of those things, right? And we need spaces to make our mistakes too, I say, you know, where we feel safe to make those mistakes and where we, and that's what, it, you know, the granny's home too is like creating, setting up that kind of space where people can feel, or indigenous people, no matter how old they are, but if they're young in terms of their understanding, their knowledge can come to, you know, to learn and reclaim that. We're rounding up the hour and I don't want to go over what I, I first asked. Um, so I was wondering if there's anything that y'all wanted to add in summary or in conclusion. Byron, when you asked, you know, how can people support the process? And I think depending on where you fit in the in the system, it's a commitment to process. So when we talk about colonization as dispossession, paperwork is also a huge part, right, of the colonial process, rationalizing these decisions, creating forms that make it difficult for Indigenous peoples to govern themselves, to meet their needs. So, you know, if there's a point in the conversation or you hit a roadblock and you're like, oh, my form doesn't allow that, right? Uh, you know, oh, that doesn't check this box. Okay, that can't be the end of the conversation if that form wasn't generated with us, right? So we need to look at potential roadblocks as an opportunity for dialogue and to revision the process because we've inherited a lot of paperwork and a lot of that paperwork does colonial work. Yeah, especially when it comes to creating space, right? Like when we were talking about choosing the site for the, um, the house, you know, I said, well, from indigenous ways of knowing, you've got to go out and like connect with the land and spirit to be able to choose where, where you need to build your home or where you need to do, like there's all sorts of things you do, right? You do ceremony, you do, you know, harvesting, you do different things. And the land actually has its own um, purpose and um, teachings and space that it creates for those things. So it's not just like it's all empty land, you just go out, well, it's a nice view, you know, let's go there. And so, you know, part that's been part of our process in working with the institution has been um, trying, to, trying to hold to those things, trying to come at it from that perspective and say, this is how we would choose where we would build our grandmother's house, right? And so um, that's, a, that's an educational process within an institution. Um, that, you know, hasn't considered those types of things before uh, about working with, you know, working with spirit and land in making decisions around building a house, for example. So I, I think, you know, that's maybe one of the benefits of this is that we are able to have those kind of conversations and hopefully, you know, that's part of the little reconciliation work that we're able to do as, prof as Indigenous professors within uh, a settler institution, right? 
Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard work, right? But I, I will say that the, um, you know, the senior leadership in, in, at University of Guelph has been really supportive and, and has listened to us and has um, been open um, to, to the types of approaches that we're trying to bring in. And as Sherry pointed out, that indeed we were brought here to do. <laughs> like we were hired as an indigenous cluster of faculty as part of this kind of like thing we call indigenization. And, you know, people talk about the difference between indigenization and, and decolonization of the institution and indigenization, you know, being like you put pretty feathers on things and, you know, you make it look kind of fun. And like I say, we're, 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 um, the, 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 the larger population can, you know, they get excited about, oh, this is really interesting or whatever. And decolonization is actually trying to start to un, unpack and undo some of those processes, such as uh, choosing where you want to um, build your grandmother's home from a spirit and land-based perspective. So, you know, this is, this is a small part of the work, but I think um, it is born of the possibility of bringing in a number of Indigenous scholars at the same time, and three of us who have chosen to work together and build something out of that. Again, I'd like to thank Dr. Kim Anderson, Dr. Sherry Longboat, and Dr. Brittany Luby of the University of Guelph for being on the show to talk about Nilcom's House. It's stuff like this that I find really inspiring, getting in touch with the land 
helping connect with the land as a teaching tool for their students, for the younger indigenous people that come to them, seek them out as mentors and role models, for the broader community here in Guelph and beyond. I think projects like this challenge the dominant culture's way of doing things, uh, of, of the academics, silos, where folks are sort of stuck in their fields, but instead recognize interconnection and the strength, the resilience that comes from that. So I'm really inspired by projects like this. Thank you very much for being on the show. And thank you to all, all of you for listening to the show. If you want to listen to more shows, you can check out toknowtheland.com. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can email me at toknowtheland at gmail.com. Have a good week. Take care. Peter, if you're listening, the I Stand in Unity women recognize your contributions to the Human Medicine Wheel Project and wish you well.